Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Dr. Steve Feit. Steve is a prosthodontist in Boca Raton, Florida, who recently sold his practice, but has worked every day since selling his practice. He is a workaholic. He has done many things over his years and has a wealth of knowledge and information to share with us today. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ross. Great to be here. So we were having a very interesting conversation offline about the difference between practicing and performing. And I think you have a lot of perspective as a guy who is who was a practicing, which I'm using the wrong words, I understand, dentist, prosthodontist for over 30 years. You have a lot of wisdom to share to our listeners, and you've seen a lot of things. So talk a little bit about your experience on practicing versus performing as a dentist. Uh, Thanks, Ross. So there is a great difference between practicing and performing. You know, there's a quote that says uh, amateurs practice to try to get it right and professionals practice to never get it wrong. So uh, we were discussing the idea of going for open heart surgery. Do you want to go to a surgeon who performs or do you want to go to a surgeon who's figuring it out, like practicing? So in dentistry, there's a great deal of controversy regarding the bite, occlusion. Occlusion is like speaking religion to uh, dentists. Uh, Certain dentists ascribe to uh, one philosophy and other dentists to a different philosophy. So do we want to really do things that are philosophy-driven or principled-based? So a principle would be something like gravity. If you took your pencil and held it arm's length and let go, it would fall all the time, every time. So if we we understand that the the mouth is, uh, I use a scissor analogy. So I'm going to speak with you basically like I would for everybody. If I've done expert witness work for 25 years, I've done over many, many dozens of cases. And the typical expert in deposition will say that they've done two, maybe three cases is the most I've ever heard. And that's the quote unquote expert. And then if you ask the expert, well, what are the parameters of the plane of occlusion? It's a very, very difficult question to answer. And yet it is the backbone or the basis for which all of dentistry, the success of everything you introduce in the mouth is dictated by that answer. And so some people ascribe to the neuromuscular, some to other things. So if you're running a business and you want maximum efficiencies, it would be really in your best interest to understand why why things work so i restore old cars so the the motor in the car is a four-stroke motor but the lawnmower is a two-stroke motor so if you ask the mechanic what are the four strokes they would be able to tell you if you ask the dentist what are the steps to chewing it's not published anywhere we're in the process of publishing this and so basically what we do is we bite the apple the tongue is four muscles we bring the food back and all the leverage is far back in the mouth. Just like the scissor, you cut a thick piece of cardboard at the hinge at the tip. 
so then um, from that information, now you can start talking about the plane of occlusion and we've discovered where hinge axis is. So hinge axis is where the jaw rotates about. So can you imagine you drill a tooth to put in a crown, which is a very typical procedure for any dentist, and then you insert the crown and you have to spend 20 minutes grinding the crown into the bite. And then you go through the crown and you have to make a new one or you have to send it back to have it glazed because it looks horrible. So now a, a simple visit becomes a very complex visit. And for the stress of the dentist, speaking as a dentist, you know, there's a surgeon on the phone, the hygienist needs a, a check and you got another patient waiting. Meanwhile, you're firing up the drill to grind in something that should fit. So why doesn't it fit? So you say, well, I need a new lab. It's always the lab's fault. Right. It's not. It's, it's protocols. It's uh, systems. So systems run the business. People run the systems, right? If you're not getting the result, change the system. So with practices, you see inefficiencies with people and practices and challenges. And how important is the system to your, to, to your success as a practice and business owner? Well, the systems are everything to the success. You know, like Michael Gerber said in the e-myth, you know, that you got to run a system. If the people in your office are not running an effective, efficient, accurate, correct system that's achieving the results that's desired, you need to change that person or school them in the reasons rationale to implement the system. Now, if the system's too difficult, it takes too long, it's, it's uh, complex. No one's going to implement it. It's very difficult. So a system can be no more than a, a sheet of paper at the most, like an index card. That's a simple system. So in your experience, you know, as a prosthodontist with a lot of friends in the dental world, how many people in your experience of your friends and associates are flying by the seat of their pants and how many of them actually have systems in place? I'd say most of them are fine by the seat of their pants and, uh, you know, maybe they get they get lucky enough that it works so that they don't look to change it or they just don't have the the broad view of the business, you know, to understand the, the pain that they're actually suffering. You know, it's like the old joke, you know, someone's been waterboarded for so long when you stop dripping the water. They're like, hey, where's the water? I need the water. You know, they're so used to it. Well, I use this example all the time. Uh, I talk about the two spectrums in dentistry. You have the guy or go or girl who is a dentist who really just owns a job. They make a good income, but they own a job. And you have the business owner who happens to be a dentist and they make a lot more money and they're the ones who can sell for higher multiples if they sell. What do you think the challenge is or, or what do you, and, and let me step back and say, neither one is right or wrong. It's what do you want? But what do you see as the the hindrance holding somebody back from owning a job who wants to be a business owner, who wants to earn that higher amount of income, which requires them to be a business owner? Uh, yeah, so that's, um, I know you, you practice martial arts and stuff, so you would understand this more deeply than most. An open mind, right? An open mind is the most powerful mind. So when someone thinks they know it all or that they have all the answers, that's the beginning of decay, right? And not just in business and specifically dentistry, as we're discussing, but in life in general. So having an open mind to see that there are other ways, but maybe better ways and, um, 
And so to eke out a living or to to make a, a fantastic living, I, I think the dentist has an obligation to their family to to be as successful as they possibly can be. So I did have a job. You know, I, I it turned out that I, I did so so well in my definition of well, you know, everyone has a different definition that um it hindered me from looking at the bigger picture. Like in retrospect, you know, what should I have built like three or four practices understanding EBITDA that you've taught me um, in the last few years, you know, and, and having a greater understanding or bringing in another associate or trying to get, but, you know, I was like the typical dentist, like, you know, you're afraid that somebody's going to ruin what you're creating and, and, um, and, you know, you just want full control, total control. And that's partly my flaw, but it's also a strength in, in some regards as well. But uh, to your point, I think the dentist has an obligation to um, maximize their uh, livelihood for their family. Well, and the thing to consider is, you know, I heard this from a physician, but I think it's the same in the dental world, is, you know, when you, this physician said, being a doctor is the career of diminishing returns, talking about, you know, insurance reimbursements always go down. So Medicare starts, Medicare insurance reimbursements go down. Well, then the Blue Cross, Blue Shields, the Cigna's, the United Healthcare's, they drop. So the doctors, unless you're like a neurosurgeon, are, aren't getting pay raises, aren't making that much money. Well, the dentist who is getting reimbursed from all the dental insurance companies, those are going down. And I've seen that in my personal life with my with my dentist. And so to live and die in a world where you're content owning the job and not performing at the highest level, that's your prerogative, but you are putting yourself at risk because a decade from now, it's going to take a lot more production to get the same amount of income. And, you know, I think you, you speak really good to that, speak really well to that when you're talking about systems, because, you know, right now there's a lot of staff shortages and, you know, a good person is a gold mine, but, you know, it, you've just got to be able to plug and play people with a system. If you have to just kind of wing it, it, it creates a lot of challenges. Yes, uh, for sure. I've always overpaid my people over the years, but um, you need to shower them with love. The number one reason uh, an employee leaves is they feel underappreciated. So at the end of a procedure, I was always explaining to the patient, you know, if it wasn't for Vanessa, boy, you know, it would have taken twice as long. And, and then I'll the concept of over here, I'll say to Vanessa, thanks for being so stellar during this procedure. As usual, you're amazing. And then the patient hugs Vanessa, but the typical clinician or practice owner or whatever you want to call it, they'll squash their, their people down in order to bring themselves up. So I did the opposite. I always put my people on a pedestal because, you know, the subliminal is, hey, who hired them? Who, who's surrounded by them? And so it creates culture. And then culture creates happiness and happiness creates the ability to get to yes, right? Yeah, and I was reading something recently talking about culture. It starts at how you treat your employees. It's not how you treat your customers, or your patients. It's not, you know, some fancy sayings you put on a poster on the wall. It's how you treat your employees. Right. We always said the customer comes third. You know, there was a book, a New York Times bestseller. It was the customer comes second. Well, we said it comes third because... 
If you and I are working together, I come first in my world, you come first in your world. And then together we come second as a team because if I'm happy and then you're happy, we bring happiness as a team. Now the happy team can go to the third person, which would be the client, right? Yeah. So let's switch gears here for a minute. And let's talk a little bit about the fact that you recently in the last six months sold your practice. And you sold it to another dentist. You didn't sell it to a DSO. Talk a little bit about that process and why you didn't sell to a DSO versus an individual. Share with our listeners your experience. I was at at first looking to perhaps bring on an associate. And so that's what started the conversation with uh, the individual who ultimately bought the practice. And we developed a nice rapport relationship and a friendship just through conversation. He was referred to me by my endodontist. So as a prosthodontist, I don't I don't perform endodontics. So it was a referral as the best things that happen in life. It's word of mouth. And then uh, I decided, you know, um, I think it's best that I, I step off. I decided that I wanted to move in a different direction. So I did look at the DSOs or private equity, et cetera. And I had three offers and they're, they were quite good offers. I only going to give you X percent up front. Some of them at 70%, others were 80%. Then you have to, quote unquote, keep your foot on the gas to get the balance. And that's in five years. And who knows what's going to happen in five years. And then, you know, I was always told hope is not such a good uh, investment strategy or business strategy. So you're hoping for that back end. And then um, we were lean and mean. We were fee for service and we didn't have a front desk or a front desk list. So we, we utilized what we call the care nurse system where that person took care of that patient from start to finish. And essentially we didn't have a dental office. We had a referral machine. And then, so I decided that uh, without a broker that we would go ahead and uh, he agreed to uh, purchase the entire practice and purchase the office condo, which I, I also owned. And, um, the process was a roller coaster at times. You know, it was uh, easy days, and then there were some difficult bumps in the road. And we didn't have a broker. I, I do have my real estate license for many years, so I understood the broker's role. And I kept in touch with him every day, if not every other day, just to keep his spirits up and just keep fighting forward. Because you know, the banks were giving him a little bit of a hard time and and so forth. But uh, after about eight months, we did finally close and uh, we signed NDAs. We, you know, nobody knew it was totally, totally, uh, you know, discreet. And then uh, we closed on a Friday, Monday morning. I had canceled the uh, morning and uh, had a said it was going to be a team building office meeting, which I never do. Uh, we don't do huddles and all that because every interaction in our office is a huddle. So, as we're getting ready to do the meeting, the hygienist who's there, she she's in love and she says, can I talk to you for a minute? And any any doctor or business owner knows when an employee says, can I talk to you for a minute? That's the kiss of death. So she gives me two weeks notice. Um, five minutes to going into the meeting to announce that the practice is transitioning to a new owner. He comes in an hour later and introduces himself to the team. I worked back four days. Four days is our work week, uh, Monday through Thursday, and uh, we end every day at four o'clock. So we have emergency time at the end of the day. And I left after the fourth day on that Thursday, and um, and it's all his. So you didn't sell with DSO, but you had some DSO offers. 
Uh, don't give me specifics, but the DSO offers were more, were they not? Yes, they were more upfront. And then at the end of five years, I calculated. So as I, I got sidetracked with the, the math in my office, say our overhead is uh, 25%, right? Because we're fee for service and, and the fees are very high and we have high efficiencies and we have very little waste and material waste and so forth. And I'm not redoing procedures. So they're going to pay me instead of 75%, they're going to pay me 28% for five years. So essentially they're gonna get back all their money and then have the practice at the same time. So I chose, I said to myself, I'd rather work five more years and just stay the course. And then I could sell it to a private person in five years. But I'm 60 now and five years I'm 65. And, you know, I mean, my patient population is much older and uh, I, I wanna be able to be viable and do things that I can do now. And then I could always work back somewhere else or, or do something in dentistry. So did the math work out where the 70% upfront by the DSO was basically the equivalent of your sales price with the new purchaser, but you were getting all that upfront? Yeah, was pretty much. Actually, it was, I got more than 70% of that. But the kicker for me was that I was going to have to stay five more right. years keep my foot on the gas, make a very small percentage of what I'm typically used to making. And then like, I've never been sued. I don't know what parameters they're going to put on me. Uh, I'm in a very litigious area of Boca Raton, Florida. You know, everybody has six attorneys in their back pocket here. And, you know, the billboard signs on the highway are, you know, my attorney got me $10 million, you know, like, so. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So basically you're like, I don't want to sit here and, work my butt off as an employee for five years. If I was going to do that, I would just not sell, keep making my money and sell again. And yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I think yeah, I've got lots of opinions on DSOs and selling your practices, uh, selling your practice as anyone who listens to the podcast knows, but it, it's, I think what you did, you know, sounds really wise. Now, how old was the guy who bought your practice? Uh, he's 45. Okay. So a fair bit younger, but pulling a runway left for him. So what advice, you know, you hear a lot of people selling to DSOs and a lot of them are young, a lot of them are in the mid forties. What advice would you give to someone? So I'm 44. Let's suppose I was a dentist and I was running and gunning and doing really well. And I was being offered money by DSOs. What advice would you give me if I was considering selling because numbers are being thrown in my face? That's a great question because I've asked that question to myself now that I, I'm just turning 60. What would I have done different if I can wind the clock back? And I think I would, you know, as Stephen Covey says, and, and it's cliche, but it's the truth, you know, start with the end in mind. So if I'm 40 years old, 30 years old now, as a young clinician, I would be looking at exit strategy now. I would be planning how now, of course, the landscape could change vastly in the next 25, 30 years if you're that young. But if I was five years younger right now, I might have jumped at those offers to go with the DSO. It might have played very well. And but I I just don't know because, you know, it would open a door to me to perhaps do consulting. I did consulting work before. I told you I've been an expert witness, so I know how to mitigate suits, uh, verbal skills. 
how vital verbal skills are, uh, clinical protocols so you get a successful result with the proper verbal skills, and you eliminate the malpractice arena. And every dentist chart is absolutely horrible. Like they don't have a protocol on how to take chart notes. And so they're below the standard of care right off the bat because they don't note pertinent things that justify their course of action. So in every single malpractice case I've done, it's always the chart is always deficient. It's illegible if it's not computerized. If it's computerized, it's uh, pulled number 19. That's it. Like it sounds ridiculous because the people who are listening to this are in the top 1%. So they're going to say, well, I don't do that. For sure they don't do that. I know that. But there's a spectrum that does. And then, you know, good is the enemy of great, right? So how do you make a great chart note that can really, you know, substantiate and support your behavior? Because that's basically the whole point of the chart, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you, Steve, I've really enjoyed this conversation. You have uh, you know, decades of wisdom to share. And anytime we talk, I always find it very enlightening. I really appreciate you taking time to come on and join us today. Well, thanks, Ross. Always a pleasure to chat with you. You're the best. <laughs> thanks, buddy. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311-850-562-9075. Security products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, in New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian North Florida Financials, not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. AR insurance license number 16139032, California insurance license number 0L1007320221-146402, expires 11-24. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.